I'm Noah Farley, and I'm here today with Sister Pat Suri, and we'll be talking about her devotional called Am I Enough? Thank you for coming in today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Your bio says that you like to search for treasures at yard sales. I thought that sounded cool. What are some of the treasures that you found? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I've had so much fun going to yard sales over the years. It's, I think it's kind of an addiction. Um, I like to get up early on Saturday morning. Most people are still sleeping in on Saturday morning, so I get up and shower, and, and I map out all the places that I want to go to yard sales. And sometimes even if I have my grandchildren with me, I'll take them with, the, with me, and, and they like to call my van the, the yard sale van, and we'll go look for treasures. And so I found so many fun toys for them because I just love being a grandma. And so I found a lot of indoor toys, outdoor toys, like little cars and bikes and fun things for them. I found lots of furniture, home decor, an, an antique so- treadle sewing machine. And probably my biggest treasure was a car, which I got for my son that he used for the last couple years of high school. I didn't know they sold cars at yard sales. Now you know. Man. <laughs> well, I guess it's like, you know... You don't have to have a permit or anything. You can sell whatever you want there, right? That's right. (laughs) Way cool. And I also read that you met your uh, husband a week before you graduated from Ricks College at the time. How did your meeting lead to getting married? Okay, we we met, like you said, a week before I graduated and went home to Canada. We met first at a steak dance, and then the next night we went to the disco. So that really dates me that we were at the disco. <laughs> but he was he was really shy and quiet, and it took him a long time to ask me out. We went on one date before I went home. And then we, um, we had a courtship through the mail and over the phone, so we never saw each other very much. He came up to see me a couple times. I flew down to see him. So we really hadn't got to know each other very well, but we knew it was right. In one of his letters that he sent to me, he actually proposed to me in the letter on the outside of the envelope. He wrote, W-Y-M-M, for will you marry me? And I saw that on the outside of the envelope, and I I was clueless. I didn't know what that meant. And so I showed it to my mom, and she said, you're going to marry him. He's asking you to marry him. And when she said that, there was just like electricity went through the room between her and I, and we both knew that I was going to marry him. So it was kind of a cool courtship, very unique. Man, it's almost like he, uh, he like used text language to right. uh, propose right. almost. Yeah, back in the olden days. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite part about working here at BYU-Idaho? Definitely the people and the spirit that's here. Mm-hmm. I love working in this environment where the spirit is always around us and the people that I work with feel the same way I do, have the same beliefs. And I'm amazed at the students. I'm just so tickled with how smart they are, how good they are. I just have seen a lot of opportunities for growth for myself. I've learned so many things, and I've had a lot of special experiences here on campus with students and with my coworkers. Wonderful, yeah. I mean, I think I talked about this with um, one of the uh, other devotional speakers a while ago, how you can really feel the difference of the spirit between here and other places. Yeah, you can palpably feel almost like it's in the air. It is. It's a very unique place to work, and I'm so thankful that I can be here. Mm -hmm. You came to BYU-Idaho back when it was still Ricks College, and besides becoming, you know, a university, what would you say has changed the most about the school since then? The thing that I've noticed is the student population. When I was at Ricks College, I don't even think I knew anyone that was married, any students that were married. And now there's probably, what, half of our student population are married, 
And I don't think there's very many international students. And now we have so many international students that are amazing. I'm just so impressed with what they're doing with their lives. So that's a really big difference that I've noticed. Um, and job opportunities for students. I don't think that there were very many job opportunities for students, but now they've really made an effort to provide a lot of opportunities for students to work on campus and, and earn their way through school. One obvious change is all the, all the buildings, the new buildings, and buildings that have been torn down. I remember the Kirkham building. I have a lot of memories from being in that building, but it's no longer there. And the Spory building is no longer there, but a new one is in its place. It's beautiful and lovely. Um, of course, all the buildings that have been remodeled, like the Manwaring and the library, the skywalk between the two buildings is pretty incredible. The gardens. I oh, don't remember yes. the gardens being here when I was going to school, and they are probably everyone's favorite place to be. They're just beautiful. And, of course, the highlight is the Temple on the Hill. Yes. That is just amazing that little Rexburg has a temple on the hill. And the Eye Center. Who would have thought Rexburg would have such a big building for students to gather in? Mm-hmm. I like what you said about, like, the temple on the hill. Mm-hmm. There are so many times when, like, you know, I've been somewhere here in Rexburg, and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, where am I? And so I just look for the temple. Don't and you feel like that's kind of symbolic in a way? It sure <laughs> is. You can see it from every direction. Mm-hmm. And as for your devotional, how did you feel when you were first asked to give this address? Oh, I think anyone who works here on campus knows that they could have that opportunity, but I never thought it would happen to me. I just was totally astounded that they would call me. And I think at first I was in shock and in denial. I thought, I don't want to do this. <laughs> but I I decided I needed to take my turn and have courage and and, and do my best. So I accept it, and it's been a wonderful experience. Yeah, most of the uh, devotional speakers I speak with say that, like, the first step of uh, giving their talk is getting invitation or calling to do it, and then panic. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. Yeah. I think I would probably have that on, like, at a level 11 if I ever was called yes. to give a devotional. Yes, <laughs> I agree. And uh, can you tell us about the process that you went through as you prepared for your talk? Yes. To begin with, I I gathered all my thoughts. I thought, I don't want to go to outside sources. I want to gather what I feel like I need to say. And so I just thought about all the specific things that I wanted to talk about. And then I went to outside sources. I went to general conference talks and um, just other thoughts from other people and gathered all those thoughts. And then I changed my mind. I thought, this is not what I'm supposed to talk about. I was going to talk about obedience. And as I had wondered about talking in devotional many years ago, wondering if if I ever had the chance to talk in devotional, I thought I would talk about whether I am enough or whether students are enough. Because I've always noticed students that are maybe not as outgoing as others or maybe not as fashionable. And I thought they're just as special as anyone else. And I want all students to know that. So that's something that came back to my mind. And so I scratched my talk and started all over again. So I guess what I what I did is I, I sat down each evening. I, I really ignored my husband, actually, to tell you the truth, and, and worked hours every night wrestling. It was truly a wrestle, trying to find the right thoughts, the right words, and put it all together so it made sense and flowed. I fasted. I prayed. I went to the temple. It was really hard but very rewarding. After I submitted it, it was just an incredible feeling of peace. I was surprised with that feeling. I could let everything go 
and not worry so much after I had submitted it. I'm always astounded by the examples that you and the other devotional speakers set with um, listening to the Spirit and going from, a lot of times, as you, as you said, scratching the talk that you had originally so that you can let the Spirit show you or tell you what it is that the listeners need to hear. Yeah, it was incredible to have that experience. I really like the quote that you used from Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf in your talk that says, Our failures don't have to define us. They can refine us. Let me emphasize that again. They don't have to define us. They can refine us. So what does it mean to you that our failures can refine us? I think that when we make mistakes um, that deeply affect us, we generally don't do it again. Like as in, in my work, when I make a mistake that affects me and affects other people, I make sure I don't do that again. And so hopefully we learn and grow and become better from the mistakes that we make. And I think we grow line upon line, precept upon precept, and we just don't look back at the things that we've done and we take it as an opportunity for growth. And I like a statement that was made in conference. Um, I don't even remember who said it, but it was from Shakespeare. They were, they were quoting Shakespeare. It's from a, a comedy, As You Like It. And the statement is, "'Twas I, tis not I." So I used to be like that, but I'm not like that anymore. So it doesn't have to define us. It can refine us. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And what do you hope that listeners take away from your talk? I think the biggest takeaway is that students know that they are enough and that they are enough only with Christ. That's the only way that we can be enough. I see, like I said before, so many shy people, insecure people. I'm one of them. (laughs) but I want them all to know that they're a child of God and that they are special and that they're enough. I've always looked for people that are outside my circle and tried to pull them in. And and my hope is that everyone will do that and include everyone and help them to feel like we're all the same. We're all in this together. We're all daughters and sons of God. In the process of preparing, I've felt the Savior's love many times for the people that I know that I will be speaking to. I had kind of a neat experience a couple nights ago as I was laying in bed going over my talk, and I just had overwhelming feelings of love for the students of this campus and for for everyone on this campus and those that I'll be speaking to. It was just kind of a sweet experience to be able to feel that love that the Savior has for everyone. So I want to share that love with everyone, and I hope they feel that love and know that they are enough. I'm sure they will. I read over your talk, and I definitely felt the spirit and peace and comfort as I read it. So thank thank you you for writing such a beautiful talk. Thank you. It wasn't me that wrote it. I just gathered it all together. Right on, yeah. Yeah. And is there anything else that you'd like listeners to know? I just hope they feel peace and and love. That's, That's what I hope they feel. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming in and talking with me today. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful.